Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to the JAR. We're so glad that you're uh, here today. And uh, if you would, uh, there's a card that looks like this. It's our Get Connected card, and so if you could uh, fill that out, uh, that would be great. Um, and uh, if you're more of a techie person and you want to look at our app, uh, the JAR app, uh, this card's on there as well. Um, my name's Chris, and uh, we're so glad uh, that you're here today. And uh, if you have a middle school student, uh, so grade 6, 7, or 8, uh, we actually have a middle school experience uh, for them, for them to be able to uh, connect that way. And Don uh, Richmond is in the back who will be uh, leading that group. And so if they want to go, that's fine. Uh, and uh, she'll help you there. And parents, you can pick them up uh, in the large exercise room after that. Just make sure you pick them up, okay? Uh, we won't keep them here. Well, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Well, God, uh, we want to uh, hear from you this morning. And um, I pray that each person who's here, that you would touch their life. That it's not by coincidence that you brought them here. And I pray that any distraction would be removed and that you would use your servant now to help us to draw closer to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, during college, I got involved in a very unhealthy relationship with a young woman who was two years older than me. And uh, there was no moral compass. Uh, there was no uh, connection whatsoever. It was just uh, whatever goes. And God was not on the radar of my life at all. And uh, the thing was, though, she was a very attractive uh, woman. And um, I really enjoyed getting all the attention. And I was in college, and so I'd walk down college campus, and people would see her. And, and finally, some guys that were... Um, on my dorm or on my dorm floor, they're like, "Dude, how did you land someone like her?" You know, and, and I was thinking to myself, "Well, I, I don't know," and uh, I just really enjoyed being big man on campus uh, for a while because there were only about a thousand people that went to the school that I went to. Now the truth is, is that the relationship though was very toxic, and it took me down many dangerous and destructive paths. And each day I would just feel that I was just getting a little bit further and further and further away from God, but I didn't want to leave the relationship. I mean, I knew it was unhealthy, but I kept thinking to myself, well, you know, but it's comfortable and it's convenient and everything feels very familiar. And a month turned into two months, and two months into six months, and six months into a year, and a year into 18 months, and eventually I was at a two-year period of this relationship, and I just felt like I was stuck. Have you ever been that way before, or been there before in a relationship? Where you are in this thing, and it's unhealthy, and you know it's not really leading to a healthy place, but there's a piece of you that just decides to stay. And you keep wondering to yourself, well, maybe it'll get better. Maybe it's a romantic relationship, but it could be a relationship with a, a parent or a friend or someone else that we want that relationship so much that we work at it, but it just doesn't get any better. And that's where I was at. And I'm at this two-year mark, and I'll never forget, I went to uh, the bathroom to shave, and I'm looking in the mirror, and I looked in that mirror, and I just thought, dude, you are depressed. You're discouraged. You're distraught. This is no joy in your life. This relationship is sucking the joy out of you. And so I finally got to the point where I was like, you know what, this thing has to end and I ended it. And sometimes I think what happens is when we end these kind of toxic relationships, what we think in our mind is, man, I'm going to immediately feel better. 
But I didn't immediately feel better. In fact, I felt even more depressed and more lonely. Now I didn't even have anything. And I got depressed and I felt down and out. And I felt like God had just abandoned me. And I didn't blame him. Because for two years, see, the the moral compass of my life was so out of whack that God wasn't even on the radar. And I simply believed that what I was reaping was the pain that I had sown due to my sin. And it was the darkest summer of my life. And I was pretty sure that God had forgotten me and I didn't blame him. But there was one person in my life who was a Christ follower at the time. And this friend did not give up on me. And they stuck with me even in the midst of my failings. And that summer, this was before email or texting. That's how old I am, okay? This is when you actually wrote a letter to somebody if you wanted to, to share something. And this person wrote a letter and said, I'm writing you just to let you know I'm thinking and praying for you. God has not forgotten you. And he never will. And later that fall, that friend turned into something more than a friend. And two years later, this is what happened. I married her. Now, uh, if we go to the next uh, picture as well, like, she looks awesome. I do not. Now, folks, this is the thing. The two years before this, and the two years before that when I started that unhealthy relationship. So four years ago, before this picture ever took place, folks, you know what I deserve? I deserve judgment. I deserve never to have what God has blessed me with for 24 years. That's what I deserve. For two years, I didn't really care where God was at. Because I wasn't making godly choices. And it was at the end of kind of that two-year period where I I remember just crying out to God and saying, God, I haven't heard from you, I haven't read your book, anything, but if you're real, would there be something? And one of those moments where you just feel so dark, and it wasn't audibly in my ears, but just in my spirit, I felt this sense, it's going to be okay, Chris, I love you. And that was it. And then Jennifer came into my life and things turned around. Have you ever been there before where God gave you some kindness that you really didn't deserve, but something happened like a sweep of good kindness comes your way? And that's what I love about God. He loves to give good things to his kids because he's a good God. And today, this is our big idea that I want you to think about because some of you may be at that point where I was in 1992. And here's the point. God never leaves us down and out. He always brings us new life. God never, ever leaves us down and out. He always brings us new life. Now, over the past uh, month, we've been looking at a story in the book of the Bible of a woman named Ruth. And if you want to, you can read that story on your own. It's in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. And I'll kind of get you caught up. You'll learn the story today. But Ruth was an amazing woman. But her story starts in a horrible way. You see, she and her mother-in-law, a woman by the name of Naomi, had complete devastation happen to their life. Both of their husbands had died, and they had nothing, no one, and now a famine came to their country, and they had no food. And maybe you're there today financially. You're in a financial devastation. You're wondering how ends are going to meet. That's the way it was for Ruth and Naomi. But not only financially, but also relationally, they're broken. They have no friends in this place that they've been living. They have no family, no emotional support, no hope. 
They're down and out, and everything around them seems very dark. Have you ever been there before? Are you there today? On top of that, they're broken spiritually. They are living in this godless country called Moab that now there's a famine and there's nothing but pagan gods and there's no hope at all. And they have not worshipped the one true God for over ten years. No church, no Bible reading, no encouragement. They are dry spiritually. Have you been there before? Maybe you're there today. Folks, Ruth and Naomi are down and out, and they have no plan, no preparation, no provision. They have nothing. They have no one. It is as bleak and as hopeless as you can imagine. Aren't you glad you came to church today? But the truth is, maybe for some of you, you've been at that point before. Maybe you're there today. Maybe some of you, your darkest moment was the day that you went through that divorce and it almost felt like a funeral when that relationship broke. Maybe for some of you, you have a friendship that has gone south and you know that friend and they betrayed you and they talked behind your back and they put you down and it just felt like death. Because you thought that would be a friend to the end. Or maybe for some of you here today, you've actually gone through the death of a loved one. Maybe it was a child, a parent, a family member, a friend. And it's like when they died, there was like a, a little piece of me that died as well. And when you go through a tragedy like that, and you've gone through something that has been very painful and hurtful, what you're longing for is, God, how long is this pain going to last? Because I need some healing in my life. And then, for some of you, you've gone through that season before, and you've realized that, you know what, sometimes good endings actually have good beginnings. And that's what we want to see today in Ruth's story. There's only four chapters in the book, but chapter 1 She is down and out. She doesn't feel like anyone knows she even exists. And Naomi feels the same way. And God never leaves us down and out, but he brings us new life. And we find that in the story today. But the story of Ruth, folks, that we want to focus in on before we get to chapter 4 is the tragic loss after loss after loss. It's in chapter 1 that it's a funeral of her husband and her father-in-law, but at the end we find a wedding. And Ruth and Naomi, they traveled back to Israel. They were in this godless country, remember, of Moab for ten years, and now there's a famine. So they go back to Naomi's hometown called Bethlehem. But as Naomi is walking from Moab to Israel, she's bitter. I'm just a bitter old woman. And I'm bitter at life. I'm bitter at God. I'm bitter at everybody. And she comes to Israel... And the people who were family to her look at her and go, who is this? And she says, I'm bitter. They're like, yeah, we can tell. And Ruth, though she's in the same place, she's like, hey, I got nothing to lose. And maybe, just maybe, God will do something. Naomi is bitter. Ruth is like, hey, maybe God's got something in store for us. Naomi, she takes her by the shoulder. She's like, Naomi. We're not going to die. We're going to make it. And this is what Ruth does. She starts going to this field. And she doesn't know who the workers are, but the workers get all the grain, but they have to leave a little bit extra. And they're like taking the leftovers, and Ruth's picking it up, and she's putting it in. And the law of Israel said it was okay. You had to leave some of that for the poorest to poor, and they have nothing. And she brings it back to Naomi. And she says, look, look, Naomi, we're not going to die. And she's like, whose field is it? She says, well, it's some guy named Boaz. And Naomi's like, Boaz? He's one of our family members. And Boaz takes an interest in Ruth. He's an older guy. He's very wealthy. And he looks, he's like, hey, who's that? He's a hard worker. Oh, she doesn't work for you. She's just like getting the scraps. Ah, well, he looks kind of good too. 
And she's a hard worker, huh? But I'm old, man. She's young. I'm old. I don't know if anything will, will work that way. And Boaz takes an interest. And this is what we have to see sometimes. When we're in Moab, we're in the place where we feel like it's dark and low and there's nothing, that God is always working upstream. He's working behind the scenes in another place that we just don't see right now. And all of a sudden, this testimony begins for these three people, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. Now the testimony begins in chapter 1 with this bitter old woman, and she's bitter. But when we get to chapter 4, she's a blessed woman. The testimony of Ruth is she buries her husband, but then she has like this Cinderella story. And her prince comes in Boaz. And it's the testimony of Boaz. This single guy has been single his whole life. He's an older guy. He doesn't think he'll ever get married. And somehow God places within him this woman who he gets to love and become his bride. Now, folks, this was their testimony. And this is what I want to say today. That was their testimony, and you have a testimony. Now, the truth is, though, there is a difference between a testimony and a biography. There's a difference between a testimony and a biography. If you go to any bookstore, uh, Barnes & Noble, whatever, you go to any bookstore, you see all these biographies of these people. And basically this is what it is. Books of people who have this big obstacle and then they suffer some, but they pull themselves up by their bootstraps and they learn from their mistakes and they overcame their problems and they slayed their dragons and I'm a hero of my story and you should follow my example and buy my book. Right? And you can do this. You can become the savior of your own story. This is a biography. Now, folks, the thing is, when Jesus comes into your life, you no longer have a biography. You have a testimony. You see, a biography is about me. A testimony is about God. A biography says, I saved myself. A testimony is, man, there ain't no way I could have saved myself. It was only because of what God did in my life that I'm here today. God showed up. God showed off. God spoke. God healed. God delivered. God promised. God provided. God answered. God grabbed me. God saved me. And yes, I did change. But it's all because of what He did in my life. I'm not the savior of my story. He is. And that's a testimony. And let me say this, folks. A testimony is always better than a biography. Always better. So, we want to talk about some testimonies today of these three people. And we want to begin in verse 13 in chapter 4 at the very end. It's just before the wedding. So, Boaz, again, this great guy. He's very generous. He has a lot of wealth godly man. So Boaz took Ruth and he became his wife. They got hitched. They got married. They're together. Ruth went from a funeral in chapter 1 to a wedding in chapter 4. Some of you are in chapter 1 right now. But there's more chapters that are coming that God has for your life. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Now it's even getting better. Not only are they married, but now they have a child. Now, some of you have children. You're like, I don't know if it's that much better. Okay? But they are. Then it goes on. The woman said to Naomi, remember, bitter old Naomi down here in chapter 1. I'm bitter, bitter. And then chapter 4, the woman said to her, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a family redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you. All right, married women, right now, how many of your mother-in-laws would say that you love them? Not very many hands. Oh, a couple. Huh? First celebration, not a hand went up. I mean... 
for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Seven in the Bible was a blessed number. Seven was a blessing. In other words, she's saying seven sons, that's the perfect family in Israel during this day. But I'm telling you, Naomi, having Ruth as a a daughter-in-law is better than seven sons. Then Naomi took the child, her grandson, in her arms and cared for him. Now, uh, how many of you are grandparents? Any grandparents? Okay, several. All right. Now, this is what my dad says about grandparents. Grand, being a grandparent is the best. Because this is what it is. It is parenting minus the downside. It's parenting Minus the downside. In other words, if you have a little baby and the baby's poopy and you're like, oh, too little poop, poop, poop. Hey, parents, here you go. You need to change your kid, you know? Or, uh, you know, you're like, hey, uh, let's get some ice cream. Yeah, let's all go to Barry Winkle. Oh, you want to fill it up that aisle? Oh, it's no problem. Go ahead. Blah, blah, blah. And you're like the greatest person in the world. And then you drop them off to the parents and then they are sick all night long. Grandchildren are a blessing. Sometimes grandparents, we're not so sure, okay? So Naomi is bitter toward everyone, and in chapter 1, if you remember, in chapter 1, she's like, I'm empty-handed, I have nothing. And when we finally get to chapter 4, she's like, well, God, you you put something in my hands. You you put this little baby in my hands. I I didn't have a husband. Both my sons died. They never had kids, and now... I have something in my hands. And she was down and out, but God brought her new life. Verse 17. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now let's go ahead and look at these testimonies. The first one is Naomi, the bitter old woman from chapter 1. Where does her testimony begin? Her testimony begins that she's hurting. She's hurting. How about some of you? Are you hurting this morning? I mean, if you had to describe one word that described you, would you say, I'm hurting? Naomi's hurting. Her husband's died. Both of her sons have died. They have no money. They have no food. And for much of her story, she's in this hurting, but then all of a sudden there comes this healing time. And healing comes because she gets honest with God. One of the things that we struggle with as human beings is we really don't want to get so honest with God. So we hold back, we hide something, and we don't get very honest. But she gets very honest, and she's like bitter. Everyone can tell that she's bitter. She's angry. But eventually... She finds some healing by being honest to God and she goes back to the land where God's people are. And folks, that's why it's so important to be here on Sundays. Because healing takes place not when you're off on an island by yourself. Healing never takes place there. Healing takes place when you come into community and you're with God's people and you're in God's presence. And when Naomi finally gets to Bethlehem, she surrenders everything to God, and all of a sudden she meets some other women who are like, Naomi, you look so bitter, you don't look very good, but hey, we love you, come on in. And Boaz comes into her life, and she experiences God's presence, and she experiences God's people. And so she goes from hurting to where she finally gets some healing to the end of her story of the testimony is she's happy. I mean, you can't think of a better picture than that first time that a grandbaby is placed into a grandma's arms, and it's like, oh, look at this. Naomi is happy now, and she realizes that God never lets us down. He always gives us new life, and now she has new life in this grandchild. Today, how many of you are hurting? If you had to describe one word, you'd say, you know what I am, I'm hurting. Well, I'm telling you, If you want to get to happy, the way that you do so is through healing. You simply go and you're honest with God. You get some counsel from other people. 
be a part of this community and allow God's healing to work through him and through other people. Naomi was hurting. She had some healing and then happiness came. Next is Ruth. Her story begins that she is ruined. She's absolutely ruined. How many of you are like, no, I'm not hurting. I actually feel ruined. I was talking to a guy this week. He had been in a relationship for two years, and the person just broke it off with him. The person lives in another country, and he lives here in the U.S., and he's just ruined right now. And he showed up this morning, and he's, he's ruined. And that's where Ruth was. She was just ruined. She's like, I'm in this godless country called Moab. I, I don't know who God is. And, and now my husband has died. I have nothing. We're going to starve to death. No kids, no money, nowhere to go. She's ruined. But the majority of her testimony, folks, isn't ruined. It's being resilient. And that's what happens to Ruth. She becomes resilient. She says, I will go and leave Moab. The only thing that I know to Israel, to this God that I do not go, I will leave from this country and I'll go to my family and go to this place and I will try to learn who this one true God is. But my problem is I only have one friend. I only have one friend. And that one friend is bitter. She's just a bitter old lady and she's always around me. And she actually, if you remember the story, they get ready to start heading to Israel. And Naomi says, Ruth, stay here. Don't come with me. I'm too bitter. And Ruth, out of the love for her mother-in-law, I don't know what she was thinking. She's just like, I'll do it. Maybe she was drinking at that. I don't know, but she's just like blocked out. And she's like, I'll go. And they get to Israel and she finds this field and she's just like taking the scraps that's left over and she's providing it. And she's like, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. We're going to be resilient. We're going to take this. She's a strong woman. Ruth is absolutely altogether resilient. We're going to make it. She doesn't give up. She doesn't stop. She doesn't quit. She doesn't take a break and say, oh, not today. No, she says, today, I'm going to do the best I can today, right where I'm at, and I'm going to keep on doing it. I'm going to try to honor God in the choices that I make. And the days that I don't do that very well, I'm going to ask God for his forgiveness, and I'm going to keep on going. And she's very resilient. And she goes from being ruined to resilient to finally redeemed. God saves her. He he saves this godless woman in this famine-stricken country and adopts her as his own. And he brings Boaz as the family redeemer who is generous to them, gives them food, provides for their needs. How many of you today, you would say like the young guy that I saw this week who went through that, I'm ruined right now. And if you're like, but I want to get to redeemed, Chris. I, I feel ruined right now. But I want to get redeemed. The way to do it, folks, is you stay resilient. You need to just keep on doing, doing the right things that honor God and bless Him. And in that ability, God moves. And if you fall short, you repent and you move forward. And that is the story of Ruth. She didn't stop. She didn't quit. And there was a future and a hope for her. And there is a future and a hope for you. Because if you feel ruined today... God is working upstream to try to redeem and make all things new for you. Next is Boaz. The beginning of his story, he is waiting. How many of you today are in a waiting season? You're just waiting. You're not sure what the future holds, what's going to happen, but you're waiting. And he's waiting, but he keeps on paying the bills, taking care of things, but he's waiting. He's been single for his entire life. He's never been married. He's waiting. He's an older guy. He's a wealthy guy. So there were many women, because he was so wealthy, there were many women he could live with, but he's waiting for the one woman that he could not live without. And so he's waiting. He's just waiting. And then in the middle of the story, what we find is this is a working God. 
He's working his job. He's working his profit. He's working his business. And Ruth comes onto the scene. And when he sees her, he's like, wow, she has a really strong work ethic too. And I do. And we're working through this and I'm waiting, but I'm working through this. And they fall in love and they get married. And eventually what happens is Boaz goes from waiting to working to worshiping God. And that's his testimony. He's like, God, thank you so much at the end of chapter 4. Thank you so much for bringing Ruth into my life. You have provided for my needs. You have done everything. I thought I was going to be alone by myself for the rest of my life. And God, you placed this person into my life. And, and God, thank you so much that my house isn't quiet anymore. And some of you probably have experienced that before. If you've been single or you've gone through a divorce and you go home and it's so quiet and you just are like, I wish there was some noise. I wish there was something. And all of a sudden now Boaz is like, man, I got this crying baby, but I'm not upset about it. And his name's Obed. He never lets us down and out. He always brings us new life. How many of you today would say, you know what, I'm in a waiting season. I don't know what's going forward, but I'm waiting. And I'm telling you, if you want to get from waiting to actually worshiping God, the way you do it is you work through each day trying to honor Him in the ways that He calls us. So here's the testimonies of our three main characters. And then all of a sudden, God blesses all three of them with something in this baby called Obed. Now, if any of you are expecting children, if you name your child Obed, I will give you $100. A hundred bucks. First celebration, one of my buddies who, he was, oh man, he was, he was ruined when I first met him. And now he's come to Christ. But his son, they adopted his son. And he looked at his son this morning. They're getting ready to walk out. And he goes, Obed, come here. <laughs> his name's not Obed. But you know what I mean? He just won the 100 bucks. But if you name your kid, I'll come through on my side. If you're expecting, and you name it. And this is why. Because we listen to that name Obed, and we don't think much about it. But this is what the name means. It'll come up on the side screen. Obed means a servant or a worshiper of God. And that's who Obed becomes. He becomes a servant and a worshiper of God. And so we think that's the end of the story. If you read Ruth, you'll get to that, and you're like, oh, cool, you know, Cinderella story. But then all of a sudden, the book of Ruth does something really weird. It has a family tree lineage at the very end of the book. It's a genealogy of just a whole bunch of names, and then it ends. In fact, I have a fact that when, when people are reading Ruth, they get to that point, and they just skip it. Have you ever done that before? You're reading the Bible, and all of a sudden you get all these names, and you're like, ah, that counts, and you check it off like, hey, I just read a chapter, you know? And you don't read any of the names. I mean, it's not a real gripping book at all to end a book with a genealogy at the end with a whole bunch of names. Like, what is the author thinking? This is not a good way to end a story. Have have any of you been around a person who is obsessed with family tree heritage kind of stuff before okay uh, a few of you and you know they're like ancestry ancestry.com or 23 and me do you really enjoy being around those people i mean just be honest i don't my uncle uh we got a picture of i mean look he was way into family tree he doesn't look happy And all his lineage, you know, and, and he, would, he would have these big, long things. He traced our family all the way back to Germany. And I remember visiting him one time. Jennifer and I, he lived down in Florida. And so we'd always bum at his house and try to stay there just the shortest period of time that we could because he would pull out these big, long, you know, like canvases of family tree history. And he'd, he'd say, hey, look at all this. And, and Jen would sit there and, and I'd look at her. And one time I was so proud of her because she was just, I mean, she looked at all this, and she just started tearing up out of boredom. <laughs> and it wasn't exciting stuff to her at all. But, but to the Israelites, folks, if you were an Israelite, your genealogy and your lineage, it was the most important thing. It was like the family crest, and what would happen is people would put all the names in, and they'd put all the heroes that were in their family history. So Ruth ends with this genealogy, as it says, 
This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. That's a hard one. I bet some of you look at me sometimes and you're like, Chris, how do you know that you pronounce that right? I don't. I just say it fast and as professional as I can. I move on, okay? Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of who? Boaz. What a great name, you know, like Boaz. And then what's it say? It says, the father of who? Obed. It's like you're calling your kid home, you know, from dinner. Obed, come on in. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of Dave. Who? David. Looky, looky. David. Whoa. Now, if you're not, uh, you know, a Christ follower, you haven't read the Bible, you don't know anything about David. So what? Have you heard about David? David, folks, was the greatest king of the Old Testament. Wait, you're telling me this, this lady that lived in Moab who was godless and didn't know anything. Her family lineage has the greatest king of the Old Testament and a guy by the name of David. Yeah, you know what this David did? He killed a giant named Goliath. He was a giant killer. He, he was a war hero. He, he was a person who, it's the only place in all the scripture where it says it, he was a man after God's own heart. He's the only one who has this title. And here is the kind of take-home thought that I want you to have. And it's this. Your life might be bigger than you think. Your life might be a lot bigger than you think. I have a feeling that when Boaz and Ruth were at Target doing their wedding registry and they were figuring out, you know, the important things like towels and what initials will be on there, I bet they weren't thinking... You know what? We are going to have the greatest king of all of Israel be a part of our family. It's going to be our great-grandson. And he's going to write all of these psalms, and the music of the church will be based upon it. And things that we sing, even today, are connected to that. And he had a blueprint for the temple of God and where God's people would come. He was the one that was given that. Well, I don't think that they thought this is how this is all going to work out. This was not the future that they thought God had for them. And you know what? They didn't live long enough to see it. Folks, some of the most important things in your whole life will happen after your life. Some of the most important work that you do in your whole life happens after your life because you don't know what God is going to do. I was looking at this guy by the name of uh, Jonathan Edwards. He was one of the greatest theologians in U.S. history. He prayed for his family, his future family, for five generations. And after praying and praying and praying and praying, he didn't just want a good kind of time. He wanted a good legacy, and so he prayed for his family. Look at what came out of his family. 13 college presidents, 65 college profs, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 doctors, 75 military officers, 100 pastors, 60 noted authors, 80 public servants, 3 U.S. senators, and 1 vice president of the United States. You don't think that your story might just be bigger than what it actually is, and that through your legacy, through your lineage, something will be different? Now, some of you might be sitting there and you're like, man, I, I'm just new to this whole God thing. I mean, I don't know too much about church, and, you know, I don't think I really have much of anything to offer, per se. I mean, I'm just investigating this, and that's fine. We're glad you're here. But this is the reality, folks. Whether you're a Christ follower or not, you're going to leave a legacy. And people are going to describe you in some way when you're gone from this place. And let me show you an illustration of what this might look like. Every time you think 
of your life and your genealogy, you should think of links in a chain. And Boaz, you might remember, he was a good link, and then there was a few other links, and then David came, and it was like, really, really good link. Now, Ruth, she was the first link in her chain. For some of you, you're the first Christ follower ever in your family. You're the first link, and God will use that. And you might say, well, my link in my chain has some broken links in it. And this is what God loves to do. He loves to take even the broken links that might be from your past, whether it was abuse or addiction or whatever that's in there, and he likes to weld them back together and mold them in such a way that it becomes a strong link, a strong change of lineage that goes down, that honors God and blesses the people around you. And God is working in your life, and he takes these broken links, and he welds them all together. Now, you see the crazy thing? Are you ready for this? What I'm getting ready to tell you. So Ruth ends with this guy named David. But that's not the end of the story. What we find is that God loved David so much. Even though he wasn't perfect, he didn't have it all together, but he tried his best to honor God, that in the lineage, he said, well, I'm going to promise you, David, that a thousand years from now, there's going to be one who is going to turn the world upside down, and he is going to be the savior of the world. And this teenage girl and this guy were together, and she said, hey, I'm pregnant. He's like, well, I haven't done anything. And they have this illegitimate kind of kid that comes out, and it, they're poor, they're, uh, he's born into this very poor family. And they name him Jesus Christ. But why did he come? Like, why? Why did Jesus come? Well, he didn't come for righteous people. You see, religious people will try to say this. Well, there are good people, and then there are really, really bad people. There are good people, and there are bad people. And Jesus said, well, I didn't come for the righteous, good people. I came up for the messed up, broken, hurting, bad, messed up, unlikely to succeed people like me like you and you and you and you and you and this guy named Matthew comes along and he's a bad person he's a bad tax collector he's a bad accountant he's IRS he's Paul Manafort okay like he's in trouble And he writes Jesus, and they get together, and he writes this story of his genealogy. Why? Because he wanted everybody to know at the very beginning that Jesus' family tree is messed up. Now let's look at it. In Matthew chapter 1, we begin to start reading. Again, not a great way to start your book. A record of the genealogy. Of Jesus Christ, the son of, what's it say? David. Oh, yeah, David. Ruth and Boaz's great-grandson. And then look. Abraham, the father of the faith, great, was the father of Isaac, great. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Oh, my gosh, why did they put him in there? Do you know who Jacob is? He's a liar. He lies all the time. He's a deceiver. He stole his brother's inheritance. Why did they put him? Matthew. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe we'll get better. So we go down the list a little bit further. Tamar. Tamar. Who? Oh, my word. Tamar? Really? You know who Tamar was? She was a woman who dressed up like a prostitute and had sex with her father-in-law. Jerry Springer! I mean, folks, that's not just rated R. 
that's rated beyond R. And what is? Don't say it because people think you know what you know. You do that, but I mean it's bad. And seriously, like don't put Tamar in there. Don't put that in Jesus. No, just stick with the uh, stick with the storyline. And everybody would remember every time they'd read it. Tamar. Then there is Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of who? Boaz, say what? Whose mother was Rahab. Oh, no, not. Then why'd you put his mom in there? You know who his mom was? She didn't dress up like a prostitute. She was a prostitute. Boaz, the father of who? Obed, whose father, whose mother was who? Yeah, Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And, oh, David. Well, we got to put him in there, but you know who David is? He's an adulterer and a murderer. And he's in Jesus' lineage. And then the list goes on and on and on with more messed up people and messed up people and broken people. And finally, it says this, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born who? Jesus, who is called the Christ. And this is what religious people want to do all the time. They want to say, well, there's good people here, and then there are bad people, and we're the good people. And the next time a religious person comes to you, and they're like, hey, I'm a good person, I'm really good, just tell them, no, you're not. Because there's only two sections here, folks. There is Jesus, and then there is all of us. And God loves you so much that he says, no matter what type of link you come from, you can be a part of my family. Because that's why we have this messed up lineage. This lineage that makes no sense at all. Why would they do this? What is God saying? He's saying everybody is welcome to be a part of my family. Everybody, whoever you are, all of you are part. Messed up links, broken links, messed up families, broken families. That's who we are. And God comes down and he says, you're all a part of my family. Just be a part of the link. And Ruth and Boaz were a part of this. And God says, wherever you're at today, whether you're the first link or the second link or a broken link, he'll weld it all together. He'll put it together. And maybe, just maybe, your story would actually be bigger than what you would ever think. Because God never leaves us down and out. He gives us new life. And today God wants to give you a new life of his love that flows down from heaven in a reckless way. And he's asking you, do you want to be a part of of the link of the chain. Let's stand. For I spoke a word you were singing over me. been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you read your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Jesus me 
just a prayer that's repeated, but it's your prayer. And don't be afraid of saying it out loud because here at the jar, we always pray out loud together in one voice. You never pray alone here. So repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for never leaving me. Thank you for never giving up on me. Give me new life. Jesus, forgive me. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's give a hand to everybody who said that prayer. For the first time, welcome to the kingdom of God. You may be seated. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, then we want to come alongside you and join you in that journey. So would you please check the box on the back of your Connect card that Chris showed you earlier? And then also we have an accepted Christ table back there, and Tom's standing back there and would love to pray with you, to give you a gift, and to, again, just come alongside you in this journey that you've started in saying, yes, God, um, I believe that you sent Jesus for me. Um, Again, take out your Connect card if you had a chance to fill that out earlier. Um, We just want to stay connected with you. You can also fill this out on the app. So if you haven't had time to download that, you can go ahead and download the app and fill it out on the app. On the back, there's a place for prayer requests where you can write those down. And we will pray for those this week, and they are all held in confidence. This will go in the offering bag, and that's going to come by in a couple of minutes. And why don't the greeters go ahead and come forward? We will receive an offering this morning. But if you're new to the jar, we really are just interested in getting to know you um, more than your money. So please um, just put your connect card in there for us. If you call the jar your church home, then we just ask that you would pray uh, to see what God has put on your heart to give because he has just given so freely to us. So why don't you join me as we pray for our offering. God, we thank you so much for this morning that you've given us, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able to come and learn more about you and to learn about the importance of being a link in the chain and how you have blessed us and even in our um, things that we just aren't as proud about, that God, that you weld those together and that you have created important um, legacy in our lives. And so we are so thankful for that. God, we just ask that you would bless this offering that you would multiply it and that you would allow us to have the wisdom to know how to use it so that we can impact others in your name. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray today. Amen. If you have never had the opportunity to do so and you recently started attending the JAR, we have a free gift for you. And so we invite you to stop back by. uh, Ruth Anna's waving her hand so you can stop by Guest Connections. And again, we just have a gift for you. We want to say we're glad that you're here and there are no strings attached at all. So please stop by there on your way out of the gym today. There are always lots of things happening at the JAR, and so we invite you to check out the website, the app, stop at the resource table to find those things out. But I just want to highlight a couple of things. The first thing is that we're uh, starting a course called This Invitational Life. So if you're a follower of Jesus, then there's a good chance that you have a desire to be able to tell other people about what Jesus has done in your life. But maybe you're not really sure about how to do that or how to share your story or to invite other people to come along and to know Jesus. And if that's you, then we have a great course for you. It's starting September 16th at 9.15. It'll be in the upstairs exercise room. And it's called This Invitational Life, and it just teaches you kind of how to share your own story and to invite people to have a relationship with Jesus. And the other thing that I want to tell you about today is one of the great things about the JAR that I personally really love is that it doesn't matter what your background is or what, you know, kind of path you followed, that that the JAR is welcome and accepting to anybody who has imperfect and broken lives. And really, if we're honest with ourselves, that's all of us. I know it's me. Uh, And so it's just really cool that we have a ministry called Celebrate Recovery where you can come, and if you're struggling with something in your life, whether it's drug or alcohol addiction or divorce or codependency or anything, hurt, habit, or hang-up that is going on in your life, 
then there are people that will come around you and say, you know what, that's me too. And so it meets every Thursday here at the Downtown Y at 7 p.m. And so just come. Anyone is welcome, and you don't have to have attended before. You're welcome to come on Thursday at 7 p.m. and join uh, the folks in Celebrate Recovery. Uh, And at this time, I'm going to go ahead and invite the prayer team to come forward. If there's anything going on in your life that you'd like this prayer team to pray for this week, there will be individuals standing at the side screens, and you can come up after the celebration is over, and they will be happy to pray for you. Please stand. Again, if you need for anything, these folks would love to pray with you. You know, God never leaves us down and out. But he gives us new life. And your story just might be bigger than what you think. And so this week, as you go through your day, know that God reaches down and longs for you to be a link in the chain. And he will help you to be strong and will weld whatever is needed so that you're connected to him as you go through this thing called life. Know that you're loved in this place. If you would, if you can help us, if you pick up a chair, take it that way. Uh, That will help us with teardown. Otherwise, have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. Thanks, everybody.